This Shabbat, in addition to the regular Pasha of the week, it's a special day. It's the 19th of Kislev. The 19th of Kislev is the day that the first Chabad Rebbe came for freed from jail. Exactly. From jail, we're talking about in the time of the Tsar in Russia. Now, we're talking about 225 years ago. If it's 1798 until today, with good in numbers. I think it's 225, right? Hey, you. Yes. How many years is it from 1970, from 1798 yeah, to 25, 225. right? 225 years. What was going on there? The Hasidic movement started with the Baal came and introduced a new way of serving God. What is a new way? All within the, the same Judaism, the same Torah, the same mitzvah, the same prayers, the same everything. But within everything, you find a new, a new approach. The approach was at that time, they were, you're, you're talking about, three, I mean, 250, when Hasidic movement came around 300 years ago, they were in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine. Most of the Jews are in Ukraine. And the Jew tells you he's from Poland. He thinks he's from Poland. He's actually from Ukraine. And the Jew tells you he's from Russia. He thinks he's from Russia. He's actually from Ukraine. It just depends how it moves. They are all from Ukraine. Then, at that time, there was, the first of all, was a terrible poverty among the Jewish people. It was just terrible. The Jews were so poor, it was painful. And that caused, then parents could not hire a teacher for the children to learn Torah. They couldn't send them to school, it was too expensive. At that time, what means was school? It was a melamed, a teacher, who is teaching 15 kids. Everyone has to pay him for, them, for this job. They cannot afford it. And the kids grow up without an Jewish education. They were very good people. They prayed whatever they knew about, but they didn't know how to read. They didn't know anything. And generations after generations, it created two, two societies. The societies of the scholars and the society of the simple Jews. You can imagine there is two societies, like everywhere. You call it racism, you can call it whatever you want they started to treat the simple Jews like second-class citizens. Came the Baal Shem Tov, and he said, what? Every Jew is equally loved by God. It's a parent. A parent loves his children no matter what. And sometimes he loves the simple child even more because he's simple, because he doesn't have an education. He cares for him even more. He says, the smart kid will, will make it in life. The one is not so capable. I need to help him even more. Then the elite did not like it. That's number one. Number two, they were concentrating mainly on learning Torah, intellectually. But emotional, but when it came to prayers, they said, eh, prayers, prayers is for the simple people. We don't need to pray. Came the Baal Shem Tov and he said, prayers? This is our connection to God. That's how we connect to God. What do you mean it's not important? That Hasidicism, Hasidus emphasized different things within the Jewish, made the... They brought up different things, what's important. Everything was Judaism. The question is, what do you concentrate? What do you think about? What do you make the, what do you make the main thing in your life? The bottom line is, little by little, a Hasidic movement started to spread, and it picked up big time. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews connected. Then the first generation was the Baal Shem Tov. The second generation, his disciple was the Maggid of Message. Dov Ber was his name. I have a grandson, Dov Ber, Shimon's son. His name is ultimately named after the Maggid of Message. And the same thing, um, then came, and the, the Maggid already took it to our, he had many disciples, great scholars, and he sent them out, he divided Europe, Eastern Europe for them, and everyone went to a different region to spread Hasidicism. It was an organized way. But today the Chabad Rabbis really started the first thing. Then came the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe was the first Shneur Zalman of Leadi. He was one of the disciples of the Maggid of Message, one of the youngest disciples. But a great, brilliant scholar, and the Maggid loved him very much. And he, because he was such a great scholar, he went to Lita, where the great Talmudic scholars were living, to spread Hasidus there. Because to spread Hasidus among scholars, you better come as a scholar. If you're not a big scholar, nobody will look at you. Who are you? What's your name? <laughs> and he came, and he was very successful. 
and they didn't like it. In Vilna, they did not like it. Because Vilna became there. The leadership of Vilna was taken over by Hasidim. And in, in addition to all of this, the establishment, they controlled the establishment. The, the, the Jews were not Hasidim at that time. Whatever, it was the regular establishment. They compare it to the Federation today, but even the Federation was not of legal law today. They had legal law. It was Poland at that time, this neighborhood. And by, I think it was Poland. And then it was a turn, uh, it came to the Tsar. But the point is, and in Russia, they, they were controlling who is allowed to open a shul and who is not allowed to open a shul. The Hasidim wanted to open their own shul, to darn in their own way, to pray the way they like it. No, you cannot do it. I created a lot. Basically, the Hasidim were, they were the, the, the rebellion. They wanted to change the system, to shake up the system. But you know, the establishment doesn't like when you come to shake up the system. They don't love it, not at all. Then all of this accumulated. Then they got so upset with the first Chabad Rebbe that other Jews, religious Jews, report, reported them to the government that he's trying to start a revolution against the Tsar. That he wants to be a king and he wants to rebel against the Tsar. And they bought proofs for it. One of the proofs was that he's sending money to Israel. He was used to send money to Israel because the Hasidic Jews in Israel, poor people, and he believed that there is Jews in Israel need to learn Torah. This will bring us closer to Mashiach. And throughout Jewish history, we always made sure that there is a Jewish community in Israel. And the Jews in diaspora, from all over diaspora, North Africa, from Iran, from Iraq, from everywhere. Jews always supported the Jews living in Israel. They sent, there was a group of Hasidic Jews who made Aliyah to Israel in the time of the Alter Rebbe. His, his, his colleagues and other, he stayed in Europe, in Russia, and he said, I will, he created a huge fundraising campaign, system, system. And every year they sent a certain amount of money to, Jews, to the Jews in Israel. Now, Israel then was under the control of the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire, the Turks, the Turkish Empire was against Russia. It was an old war forever, a war between Turkey and Russia. Till today, they even, even they get along, but they don't get along, they get along, they don't get along. Depends on the hour. Then uh, they, they wrote, they put a spin on it. They wrote, then the Alter Rebbe is sending, is sending money to the enemies of Russia. He's sending money for Jews to survive in Israel. This and other stuff, one dark day after Simchat Torah, they came and arrested him. And they took him on a special black chariot, cart, to, that was designated for the worst enemies of the Tsar. They arrested him and they took him to St. Petersburg from his city, Liadi. What, when was this? What year? The Osna, I don't remember. Huh? 1798. 225 years ago. Not so long ago, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And he was there in jail for 53 years. 53 years. I'm sorry. Oh, 53 days. 53 days. I'm sorry. Danny's listening. <laughs> 53 days. And it's interesting. And right this Shabbos will be the day that he actually was released from jail. It's unbelievable, divine providence, that the hostages in Israel were taken as Simchas Torah mm-hmm. and are released in this week. Mm-hmm. It's a season of redemption, of going out from jail. The Alter Rebbe came out from jail. In Judaism, there is a concept, God brings good things into good days and bad things to bad days. For example... You're right, but, um, but that's why, especially Yotoskisev is a good day. Then uh, now, that the, the time that we came out, from, the Alter Rebbe came out from jail, the Jew, these Jews are also coming off, out from their jail. What are the bad days? Tisha B'Av. was the first temple destroyed, the second temple destroyed, the expulsion from Spain. And Kristallnacht was not Tisha B'Av. No, <coughs> no, 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 no. A couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, no. no. There were other expulsions from England in other places were on Tisha B'Av. It was before the, te- the destruction of Beitar was on Tisha B'Av, the revolution of Bar Kokhva, the destruction of Beitar, a big city was on Tisha B'Av and so on. 
there is and order and there is good things and, and, and there is blessed things and good days, they, they come again and again. Then in a week, that during the month of Kislev, the month of Kislev is a month of miracles, the miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle of the Alta Rebbe coming from jail, that this is a month, God willing, will have many of them coming out from, from us. Amen. In any case, now that you know the background, oh, that on the day he came out from jail, he was sitting in jail and saying Psalms. The great, great, great scholar was a brilliant scholar. He wrote an updated code of Jewish law. And he wrote a book, Tanya, the philosophy of Chabad. An unbelievable scholar. He read from the Psalms, just like every simple Jew. He read Psalms, God should pray, should help him to go out from jail. When he came to a certain verse that speaks about, redeem me, redeem my soul, they came in and they told them, you're a list. Mm-hmm. Now we read source number one. From the Alter Rebbe's letter. This indeed must be made known, that on the day God made for us, the 19th of Kislev, Tuesday, the day on which it, it was, was a Tuesday, good, the day on which it was good, was said twice in Torah, your sight of our holy teacher, whose soul is in Eden, while I was reading in the book of Tehillim the verse, he redeemed my soul in peace, before beginning the following verse, I emerge in peace by the act of the God of peace. First of all, he mentions it was a Tuesday. Tuesday, it's written in the Torah twice, Kitov. means to say, God said double, and it was good. Because on Tuesday, he was created something so unique that God was excited about, and he said it was good. What was unique about Tuesday? The idea of reproduction was created on Tuesday. Sunday and Monday, the world doesn't, the earth doesn't make a new earth. The, the sky doesn't make, give birth a new sky. But vegetation is being recreated. The idea of a seed can turn into, into something new. That was created on Tuesday. That's why God said it was, it was twice Kitov. I saw it lately from one of Rebbe's talks. It's a beautiful, brilliant idea. And then he says, it was the Yorzeit of his Rebbe. The Maggid of Mezrich passed away on Yutes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev. Now, Yorzeit of a tzaddik is a good day. I mean, the day when he passes away, it's a terrible day. Very sad day. But in essence, on this day later, his neshama is being elevated, he's celebrating in heaven, and everybody who's connected to him gets benefit. Before, before the Maggid, before his rabbi passed away, Dovber, the Maggid of Red Mezrich, he told his, his disciples sent the altar rabbi, and he told them, Yutes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, is our day. He didn't understand what he's talking about, what means our day. Many years later, he came out from jail on the same day of his, of his rabbi's yotzeit. That tells you how powerful a yotzeit of a tzaddik is. Then he tells them, he, he writes in, 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 a, in a letter, and you should just know, when I said the word, Pada Beshalom Nafshi, redeem, God redeemed my soul in peace, they came to tell me that I'm released. I came out from jail. Okay. The Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe was, of course, aware of the reason for his imprisonment. After his release, he said that his liberation was associated with the verse, He redeemed my soul with peace. This is a verse in the written Torah, in the book of Psalms. To understand its meaning, we must look into the oral Torah, the Talmud, and tractate Barachot. Yeah, well, the Talmud has a commentary to this line in the Bible, from the book of Psalms. What does this mean? God redeemed my soul in peace. What is he meaning with it? The Talmud says a very interesting commentary to it. Okay, you go. Verse 2. They put it on God. God says, so to speak, anybody who learns Torah and acts and is engaged in acts of charity, acts of good deeds, and prays with the community, with a minion. I consider it like he redeemed me and my children from among the nations. That means to redeem, uh, be redeeming God. Hmm. Have you realized something? Oh, yeah, bloodshot. I don't know what happened. <laughs> You're going to like that. Okay. Then, um, okay, continue. The Rebbe, the redemption of the altar Rebbe is thus connected with. Three elements: a. engaging in 
or study B, acts of kindness, and C, praying with the congregation. Okay. The Rebbe says like this, if the Alter Rebbe said the, the verse Padabe Shalom, and with this verse he came out from jail, and later he made it a whole, that, that became the whole topic, the whole headline, if you want, of, of the redemption from jail. It became a song, Hasidic Jews have a song of these lines in the, in, the, in the book of Psalms, and you sing it every year, you just kiss left. Padabe Shalom Nashi became the, the title of, of the old redemption from jail. Must be that what the Talmud says has to do with the Alter Rebbe. The three things, learning Torah, acts of kindness, and prayers with the congregation. Continue. One commentator. One Okay, there is three pillars that the world exists on. Mr. Seif, you want to have a good world, a normal world, that people don't kill each other. These are the three things you have to do. Learning Torah. Act, um, prayers. prayers. And good deeds. The best way to describe these three, acts, these three uh, pillars is like this. Torah is what God is speaking to us. Prayers is what we speak to God. And acts of kindness is what we speak, the language we speak to each other. You know, getting, saying a word of kindness is nice, but act of kindness is uh, even more important. Another commentator notes. Another commentator notes that these three elements correspond to the three faculties of thought, speech, and action. is properly done verbally in speech. Acts of kindness are performed with the faculty of action. And prayer is... The service of the heart, the faculty of thought. Okay, there is three expression of the soul. There is what I feel, what I what I think. Then there is how I express my feeling on on my thoughts. What there is three. It's called levushim, three garments of the soul. There is thought, speech, and action. There are three things every person can control. Or if I love a person or not, I cannot control it. I don't like him. Are you going to force me to like him? Shoot me. What are you going to do? I don't like him. But what I think about him, it's up to me. I can think good thoughts about him. I can think bad thoughts. I can think about God or I cannot think about God. The same thing is uh, speech. Speech is in my control. I can speak good things or I can speak bad things. And action is for sure now it's something I can control. Then he says these three pillars that he talks about, learning Torah represents words. You have to learn Torah with your mouth. You can learn with your thoughts, you can think about it, but the right way to fulfill the myths of learning Torah is with your mouth. Good deeds, <laughs> action, good deeds, I'm thinking about you, that's not enough. I have to do something for you. And thoughts, prayers really is a service of your heart. You love God, you think about God, you have to say it with your mouth, but real, the whole concept of prayer, you can pray to God in your heart. You don't have to pray with your words. It's the right, the ultimate myth is to pray with words, but really it's in your heart. And the point is that these three concepts are basically Judaism, one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, this is the whole story of Judaism. Okay. All right. Triple slander. The slander accusation made against the author of Rebbe was about the first study. Acts of kindness, charity, and human prayer. He says that the Rebbe is analyzing that what he accused the outer Rebbe and they sent it to, to the Tsar. And because of that, he was arrested. And for 53 days, he had, to, he, has, he had interrogations. He had to prove that it's wrong. It was about three concepts. And these three concepts represent these three issues, the three pillars, <coughs> if you want. What are the accusations? Go My ahead. The accusation was that the new Hasidic movement would lead to the disregard for Torah study. They said... Oh, when you say that prayer is important, when you say that simple Jews are important, it means now you, you reduce. It's not that we care for our own ego. No. But you reduce the, the importance of learning Torah. People will not respect anymore the Torah scholars. People will not respect learning Torah. If everybody is equal, who needs to learn Torah? If we are the most important people, that everybody wants to be like them. But if everybody, every Jew is, is equally important in the eyes of God, nobody will learn Torah. So You're the, disregarding the learning of Torah. The Russians were trying to say. It's not the Russians. It's the Jews the who wrote, who wrote the interrogation. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the Rebbe is phrasing it in such a clean and nice way that the Goyim are the one who translated it this way. That was the Jews writing it. I was thinking about that. I saw the Rebbe saying it in such a refined way, not to blame anybody, not to wake up any bad feelings by anybody or insult anyone. But that was the Jews who wrote it. That, you, know, you think the Tsar was worried about the disregarding right. of the Torah study? Okay, a second. The second recusation was the charity money that the Ottomans sent to the land of Israel for support of the Torah scholars, widows, and orphans was contribution to the Russian Tsar military enemies. Enemies? Were you sending it? To you sending it to your enemy, to to the to the Ottoman Empire, is sending charity. Is basically it was a own machine of collecting money. Hasidim gave the bread because the Rebbe wanted from them to send money to Israel, <coughs> and it was translated in such a way. Literally, it was just like JNF box, you know, charity box. I think the Alter Rebbe invented the concept of a charity box. <laughs> It was all over. There was charity bucks to raise money for Israel. And, and it was a whole system of Hasidim that the job was to go all over Russia and to collect money for Hasidim. They used to come and sit your house and they uh, open your bags. Yeah. yeah. That was, wow. It was no money. And they were yeah. still giving everything to, to Jews. And they took it. You know, you take the best thing of you and they turn it against you. <laughs> okay, the third one, the, the third, third problem. The third position was about the extra length of the Hasidic prayer the institution of a prayer book, and opening of the separate synagogues. These changes to prayer, to prayer, were presented in, in, in the allegation as a proof this was a new religion, religious sect, which yeah. was illegal in Russia at the time. Okay, yeah. There was, they, were, they were saying, Chabad, the Alter Rebbe, you know, the, the Ashkenazi Jews, there is one Nusach, the Dav, it's called Nusach Ashkenaz. Hasidic Jews, Davnas, a prayer that's much more like the Sephardi Jews. And it's called Nusach Arizal, based on the Anasidah that was compiled by the Arizal. The Arizal was a Kabbalist who lived 500 years ago. And the Hasidic, the Alter Rebbe, put together a Siddur, like, more, more like the Sephardi Jews, but that's the Siddur that we have near, Nusach Ari. If you have a different Siddur and you daven a little differently, then you, want to, you don't want to bother anybody else, but you want to daven your way. That they wanted to open their own synagogues. It was not legal. They, 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 the Jews in the establishment didn't allow it. It seems like throughout history, money is power, right? And, sure. and that it's always a lightning rod. Somebody gathers enough capital, it's viewed as a threat. Right? And that's just, it's just sort of like, it's hard to ignore that. Yeah, it's in, listen, when it comes to fights, they use everything. Money, any excuse. But you're right, yeah. Money is also part, sure. Yeah. So is this the first split of a Jewish religious tradition? No, it was not the first split. That's another thing. It was before that. It was Shabtai Tzvi, a few hundred, 200 years before that, I think. It was a guy who was, who was trying to announce about himself that he's the Moshiach. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and later, and they split it, and it ended up it's such a disaster that was unbelievable. They actually did, try to, they actually did split they changed the law, yeah. They actually stopped uh, observing Jewish law. It was terrible. Well, the Sadducees was another There, Sadduc- there is a million, million of them, yeah. Yeah. There used to be another temple in Egypt. Yeah, but somewhere. this, all of them tried to change the Torah. Yeah. This was within Jewish law. Actually made people more observant, not less observant. Mm-hmm. And they were still fighting it. The excuse was, Shabtai Tzvi, the excuse was, oh, we did it before, it went for it. It was just an excuse because they, 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 the Hasidim lived among them and they saw they lived their lives. But it was good enough to have an excuse to fight it. Yeah, but all the splits in Judaism many times. Okay, you want to continue? The verse um, states that victory is won through many advisors. At first, the first choice is to seek advice from a close friend. But some uh, commentators add that when a person is in a situation where they don't have any friend available to ask for advice, they should seek the advice of an enemy and do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Along the same line, all of the allegations made by the enemies of the Pacific Union were the opposite of reality. <clears throat> okay. 
There is a concept. You gotta know who your enemies are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easier than to know who your friends are. Mm. Then um, there is a concept that if you, the Torah says you should ask people advice before you make a big decision in life. Don't do it yourself. Because why? Because we are not objective about ourselves. Everybody thinks he's objective, but the objective person was not born yet. Now you're going to ask a friend. A friend is objective, not very much objective because he's your friend, he loves you. But he's still objective. But the good thing about the friend, he loves you and therefore he'll try to do the best for you. But he sees from a different pair of eyes, he will, he will be able to tell you what's good for you. What if you don't have friends around? I mean, in World War II, there were decisions to be made. Should they run to Japan or should they run to China or should they run towards Russia? Or should it was very, very difficult decisions that nobody was able to know. Nobody could tell you for sure what's good for none. Then you go, now you go to an enemy and you do the opposite. You ask him, what do you think? We should go this direction or this direction? What does this mean? What's behind it? Somebody who loves you is out naturally or go towards the direction to help you. Is out pulls them in a different direction. You know, what's the problem with bribery? Why are you not allowed to give bribe to a, to a, to a um, judge? The moment they get, uh, the person gets bribe, he starts to think a new direction. He's right, he's right. You know, people say, um, my son and my child is, is right. Sure, your child is right, because you love him, therefore he's right, right? No matter what, you'll, ne- you'll never see the bad thing in him. Because your love covers up and, and, and his bad behavior. An enemy always going to the other direction. Even if he says he's objective, he think, and he really thinks that he's objective, he's not. Because deep down, it pulls them to the other direction. You understand? It pulls them to, to the other side. It's like there is people who are, there is, you know, you court to court, they tell you which judge is going to deal with your court case. Tell you, oh, he's very strict. He's very lenient. Depends on the personality. Some people are nicer, and the judge is a nicer guy. He will try to help you. Some people are just more strict, more mean, more miserable. <coughs> they will be more, more uh, they will go on the other side. The same thing is here. You go to ask an enemy, and from this you learn, you do the opposite. That it says from this, from the type of accusations of the Alter Rebbe, you know what, what really accomplished the most. What he did better than everything. Not just he did a little, not, not he, he wanted to destroy it. If you're being accused of such a thing, obviously you're, you're so, you did so good in this, therefore they, that's why it upsets them and they're trying to find, to say that you are the opposite, that you are the bad guy that you're trying to destroy Judaism, you're trying to destroy, because you did so much for learning Torah, they try to say that you're destroying the learning Torah. Because you made so much for prayers, they're trying to say that you're against prayer. It drives them crazy that they find something in these things wrong. What, are, what is the different things? Okay. The first regarding the obligation of the Hasidic movement is regards Torah study. The teaching of Hasidic, uh, Hasidut, and uh, especially of uh, uh, Chabad school, explains the great value of Torah, uh, raising it to a far higher level than it was considered previously. <coughs> yeah, in Chabad. <coughs> Question is, um, was it the, the animosity between the establishment, let's say, let's say and the Chabad was it wasn't like I think kind of like work for the benefit of the Chabad movement because they made them stronger and also pushed things stronger than they possibly Absolutely. could have done it. Absolutely. In the end, it was Walter, sure. Yeah, as we're going to learn it about it in the end. Sure, in the end, it's good, but you know, it's like whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Hmm. But meanwhile, it's a little painful. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. They say that Chabad Hasidus brought the importance of Torah to a level that was, no, n- n- was not there before. And it's expressed in two things. Yeah. Humility. <clears throat> the change regarding Torah study was expressed on two levels. First, as great a scholar as a person may be, the Torah is always greater, longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Therefore, all of one's uh, Torah achievements pale into insignificance compared to all the Torah that remains to learn. Even the greatest scholar must study as if he has only just begun. You see, a scholar 
can go in two directions. It can become <coughs> very arrogant, or it can become very humble. You see it in Nobel, uh, uh, for example, the Israeli prize winners. I mean, you're, you're big scientists. You're talking about the achievements. Many times you hear from them, sometimes you hear it's full of arrogance, and many times I saw it, they speak about they didn't even scratch the, the surface. There is so much to learn. There's so much to know. The more they know, the more humbler they become. It's, there is so much in the, in the universe to discover that's unlimited. With the Torah, it's even more. When you approach to the Torah, is then, oh, I know everything. Then if I don't like something that's written in the Torah, I twist it. Now you can twist everything. You can make everything look on your side. I can find excuses for every bad behavior in the world. The more learning, the more you learn Torah, the more you, the more you can twist it and, and dray it any way you want. It's like a lawyer can twist it any direction he wants. And the question is, when you come, Hasidus told us, you come to the Torah, this is the Torah of God. You have to come with a humble soul, the humble heart. And you have to try to understand what the Torah wants from you. Well, really the Torah wants, not what I want. You understand? And, and therefore, when you, when you see something, it's not, you cannot come with a preconceived notion, okay, I want to do this and this on Shabbos. You're not allowed? We'll find a way to do it. You know, the other day I was, um, there's all discussion if you're allowed to buy, ride a bicycle on Shabbat within the Eruv, within the parameters of, of, of a, a closed um, neighborhood, basically. There is, most of the Orthodox Jews say you're not allowed to. You're not allowed, you don't, you don't, you don't buy, ride a bicycle. But there is rabbis who say that, that why, why are you not allowed to ride a bicycle? Because if you, if you ride a bicycle, what will happen? Get a flat tire. Get a flat tire. Then you fix it on Shabbat. You're not allowed to fix it on Shabbat. You can't push it, right? And you can push it and so on. Yeah. Well, can't carry it. You, you can carry it. Huh? You can walk Carry you could, but you cannot fix it. Fix yeah. it on Shabbat. That's a problem. Now, now, there is a Jewish law. For example, why are we not allowed to use a musical instrument on Shabbat? Because you have to carry it to shul. No. Right? I thought that's you why you have don't to play it like you have to. Shabbos. That's another story. Because you can, you, it might, might something break and you'll fix it. Mm. That's the real reason why you cannot mm. use a. You tune it up, mm-hmm. yeah, that you're not allowed to use a, a musical instrument. Then they said the same thing like a musical instrument you're not allowed to use on Shabbat because you might, might break and, and you might fix it. The same thing on bicycle. I heard from a very great rabbi, he says it's all nice and fine. The bottom line is, we do not obligate it to apply the same logic for new things. If it's a biblical law, nothing is, it's not, never allowed. If it's a rabbinic law, the rabbis made it as a fence. You're not allowed to use musical instrument because maybe you'll, 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 uh, you'll fix it. You do, you're not obligated to, use, to apply the same fence for new things. And somebody tells me, he was in a city in America with many people, bike and Shabbat, because there's an Eruv around the place. It tells me, I, I, my wife forced me to go. Kids, he biked, and, and, the, and, and, the, and the bike broke, and he fixed it on Shabbat. Mm. Then what does this mean? I mean, the spousal law is greater than biblical and rabbinical law. That means to say, <laughs> you, can, you, you can find, you can say it's allowed, right? You can twist it. But in the end, it doesn't work, because mm. the rabbis know better than you, the Torah knows better than us. Then when you come, when you approach Judaism with, with the Torah with a, humble, with a sense of humbleness, if the Torah says this way is not allowed, finish, there's no discussion. In my father's world, there was no two ways. He saw it once written, that's it. Finish, you can talk to the walls. It's not allowed, finish. Even, even it was a maybe of a maybe of a maybe, it was not allowed. It was on. Then this is the first approach. You, learn, you come to learn, to, you come, the Torah should teach you. Not you should create the Torah in your image, but you should create yourself in the image of the Torah. Number two, practical law. You want to go there? Yeah. <clears throat> practical law. Secondly, Hasidic places a special emphasis on study is great because it leads to action. One of the first works of the Alter Rebbe before he assumed the leadership of Chabad and as a preparation for it, was focused on reaching the practical legal conclusions from Torah study. Okay. There is one thing to learn Torah and to give a nice speeches and find ways of learning, but 
within Torah to bring, bring it down to a practical law. What's the bottom line? What's the law? That's called the Code of Jewish Law. It was once written, my mind is basically wrote the Code of Jewish Law. Then, then, the, then was the Shulchanor Barabi Yosef Karo from Tzfat, 500 years ago, he wrote the Code of Jewish Law. The Alter Rebbe wrote an updated Code of Jewish Law. What's unique about this, the, the Code of Jewish Law by the Alter Rebbe? Usually the Codes of Jewish Law, they were written by Maimonides and by, and by Rabbi Yosef Karo and the Shulchan There is written the laws with no explanations. A, B, C, and D. That's the way to do things. The Alter Rebbe wrote the law with the reason. A very unique work. Very amazing, unique work. And that was, it brought the Code of Jewish Law to a whole new level that you understand why you're not allowed, and then, or why you're allowed, and then you can compare it with other things because you understand what, what's the source of the law and how to understand other things. It gives you a better explanation of what, what's going on. When was that? When, when did he write that? He wrote it in probably 1770-something. Uh, can you can when you he was read a student? Yeah, we learned it every day, sure. It's in English also. I think Chabad Atog, is, I think... They have already the English version of it. Yeah. Well, don't complain like that. You'll know too many things. You're not allowed to do. <laughs> <coughs> then, um, then what, what to, to reach the, the conclusion of the law is a new achievement within learning Torah. Many people learn Torah, but to know how to bring it, make it practical and what to do with it, it's, this is the ultimate achievement of learning Torah. And he himself, by the, uh, by the request of his rabbi, the Maggid of Mezrich, he forced them to write a, 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 an updated code of Jewish law when he was a very young man. Okay, go ahead. God's word, this is halacha. The Talmud relates that David and Jonathan were great scholars. When Doeg told Saul about David's scholarly abilities, he wasn't moved, saying, my son, Jonathan, is just as good. Oh, we are going to have to stop right here. There is a story about King Saul. You heard about King Saul, right? Yeah. The first king of the Jewish people. The Jewish people said, I want a king. I want a king. We don't want, we don't want you, God. We don't want you, Samuel. We want a king. God gave them a king. That was bad news. Mm-hmm. In any case, <laughs> Saul was a righteous man, but then Saul had a, had a fear problem. That's why in today's world you would be calling it, I don't know, maybe, maybe bipolar or something like this. Then, Really? Then he, 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 had, he, had, he had feelings, anxiety, a lot of anxiety and paranoia. Then they, they, they were looking for somebody to come. Yes. Then they were looking for somebody to relax him. They told him there is David. There is, there is David. There is David. David is a, he can play on the violin or whatever he had there. Not it was violin or... Whatever he had, and he, and he said he will relax you. The Doeg, Doeg was one of his advisors, one of his uh, generals, told Saul, who is David? They introduced him to David. When he told him a bunch of things, he was not impressed. Finally, the last thing he told him, he was impressed, but became jealous. Hmm. Then let's re- go ahead. But when Doeg, well, when Doeg told Saul that God is with him, Allah is always decided in accordance with his opinion. Saul became upset and jealous because this is something that even he did not merit. Okay. Now we'll read the source and we'll understand what happened there. Go ahead. Source 3. One of the young men answered and said, I saw a son of Yeshai from Bethlehem who knows how to play a mighty man of valor and a warrior and prudent in affairs and a handsome man and God is with him. Okay. That this line looks like that's on the Bible from the book of Samuel. And it looks like he's describing in a very simple world language um, the son of Jesse, the son of Ishai. David, his father was Ishai from, from Bethlehem. And he, was, he knows how to play, and he's a strong man, he's a warrior, and God is with him. The Talmud gives it a much deeper meaning to this verse. You want to continue? The Talmud interprets this verse. Rabbi Yehuda says that Rav says the verse... Who knows how to play means that he knows how to ask complex and germane questions about Torah matters. It's all about his knowledge in Torah. That he knew how to ask questions, good questions to learn Torah well. Go ahead. 
A fine warrior means that he knows how to answer questions raised with regard to matters of Torah. It means to answer, not only to ask questions. It's easy to ask questions. Why this? Why this? The other part is to give answers. So can I ask a question? So this, I mean, this happened thousands of years ago. Yes. This interpretation happened when? Um, a thousand years after the story happened. Okay. Yeah, it's a deeper meaning to okay. this concept. Go ahead. A uh, man of war means that he knows how to negotiate his way in the battle to understand the Torah. Right. There is a battle of Torah, a battle of learning Torah, not a battle of killing each other. Hmm. But when going into a shiva, you see everybody screaming and yelling and fighting <laughs> and arguing. I just read yesterday about two great scholars. It was a very famous scholar, the Ragachover. He was a, he lived probably, he died before, before World War II. In any case, he was a, and he, there were two great rabbis in the city. I mean, the other rabbi gave a, gave a lecture, the Ragachova, this Rabbi Yosef Razin was his name. He was an unbelievable scholar, said in 500 years was not a, in such a mind. He remembered everything. The other rabbi gave a speech. In the middle, he was a very wild man. He screams, what is he talking about? <laughs> Interrupted in front of hundreds of people. Then he says, go, go continue, continue, continue. <laughs> but the, the whole idea of learning Torah is people are arguing. Nobody lets you to get away with anything. You say something, who says it? Where is this written? Why? It doesn't make sense. And so on and on. Then that's called the war of Torah. The, it's a warrior in Torah, not just uh, fighting in, in physically. Continue. A handsome man is one who displays an understanding in Jewish law and explains it well. And prudent in speech means that he infers one matter from another matter. And God is with him means that the law is ruled in accordance with his opinion in every area of Jewish law. That's the big achievement. That the halacha is like you. You know, there is ten opinions. Who is, who, who God, who, 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 what is the will of God? What should I do tomorrow morning? The person that goes by his opinion means that God is with him. That means that he is able to reach to the will of God, not just to the wisdom of God, to the will of God, what God wants. Wisdom of God, everybody learns Torah, even if it's not practical, you know, it's, a, it's the wisdom of God, but the will, what God wants for me to do. In response to all these virtues listed in praise of David, Saul said to his servants, my son Jonathan is his equal. Whenever he gave him a praise of David, he said, my son can do it too, my son can do it all. my son can do it all." Uh, once Doeg said to Saul, and God is with him. Oh, and God is meaning. with him. Oh, meaning, go ahead. Uh, meaning that the law is ruled in accordance with his opinion in every area of law, a matter that did not apply even to Saul himself. He was offended and grew jealous of David. And he said, David, when David makes a law, he knows what God wants. And God is on his side, so to speak. Oh, God is on his side and not on my side. He became jealous of, of David. That's how he became jealous of David. That's one of the reasons he became jealous of David. But you learn from it that somebody writes a code of Jewish law and people live by it, that's a whole new level. There are many commentators in Judaism. It's amazing. But then people start to live their life according to Rabbi Yosef Karo and, uh, and the Ramon and the Alter Rebbe with this. That's a whole new, new different level. They do because this is the will of God, not just the wisdom of God. The same thing we see it about Bet and Bet Hillel. Go ahead. The Rebbe. We find that Bet Hillel may rule that something is kosher and pure, and Bet Shemai state exactly the opposite. Nevertheless, the Talmud says that both are the words of the living God. But now we are saying something greater, that God is with him. The law is always decided in accordance with his opinion. This is something that can only be true about one person. You see, for example, Bet Shemai and Bet Hillel, there is many, many, I think over 300 arguments of Bet Shemai and Bet Hillel in the Talmud. One of them is coming up about Hanukkah. You know, we light candles on Hanukkah. The miracle was eight days. Bet Shemai says, on the first night, you should light eight candles. The next night, you should light seven. The third night, you should light six, and so on, until we get to number one. Because when you find... The first day we had a full, uh, uh, enough oil for eight days, right? Then we had only enough oil for seven days. Then Beit says, no. We start, what do you do? One, two, three, right? That's what we do right now. Oda Allah, like Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai makes sense too. You can argue that Beit Shammai makes sense. And Beit Shammai was actually smarter and more knowledgeable than Beit Hillel. But the Allah is like Beit Hillel because, you know why? Because they were more humble. And as we said more, when you come to the Torah in a humble way, you can reach God because it's not about my ego. 
I want it this way. It's like, I want to try to understand what God wants. Not what I want. What I want God to do for me. So certain things. Really, 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 what, what, what really God wanted him? And therefore, the Allah is like Betilel. That's a whole new level when the Allah is like, is like this person. Then the same thing happened about the Alter Rebbe. Go ahead, the Rav Shulchan The Rav Shulchan In our case, there were great scholars and Torah leaders on both sides. But it was the Alter Rebbe who wrote the Shulchan Harav, making practical halachic decisions. He did this before he began to publicly spread the esoteric dimension of Torah. As his sons write in their introduction to the work, he started to write the Shulchan Aruch while he was studying in the home of the Magid of Mesrich. He didn't just make a start, he actually finished the sections on the laws of Tzitzit and Pesach at that time. And it was by the Alter Rebbe when he was a very young man. I don't know exactly, I think 24, I think. I don't remember exactly what age he was. And he finished to write all this. And the laws of Pesach, this is complicated business. This is very, very hard uh, topics. And if, that's what I'm saying. He said not only he was teaching Torah, he wrote Allahic books. That's what it's all about. The Code of Jewish Law. Continue. Now it's a quote from the introduction of the, of the sons of the Alter Rebbe when they printed the Code of Jewish Law that he wrote. You see, not much left. I mean, there is, a few, for, there is volumes of, of his uh, writing, but a lot of it was burned in a big fire. No, no, you need to understand that the Shtetlach, there was so much Jewish writing, very important Jewish writing that were burned in fires. They, they didn't have copy machines. It was in one house, and was in the, in the cities. Was like every 10, 15 years was a fire, and everything got burned down. The only end writing from the Alter Rebbe, almost the only one, is was left, is his answers that he gave on his interrogation when he was in jail, and was preserved in St. Peter's book. Five, six pages, beautiful writing from the Alter Rebbe in Nibu, that he, they, they had questions for him. They wrote the questions in, in Russian. They sent it to a translator, translated it to Nibu. The Alter Rebbe answered in Nibu. They sent it back to a translator, translated it back to, to Russian. This writing is there. So his code of Jewish law was burned? A big part. There is still a left left, but a big... Unbelievable loss. You cannot even imagine how big the loss is. There's no one sense that has sort of matched that wisdom. Not, no, no one. Well, is, it, is it Hebrew or Yiddish? Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. Oh, they Hebrew. spoke in Yiddish, they wrote in Hebrew. In general, in general. The handwriting was also like translated Yiddish to Hebrew, I think, right? I mean, what do you mean? Oh, he wrote it in Hebrew. He wrote in Hebrew. No, the, the whole, the, the subject were all in Hebrew, but when you wrote, they wrote each other. They wrote no, they wrote, if, uh, private letters sometimes wrote in Yiddish, but in general, Torah writing was in Hebrew, speaking was in Yiddish. Jews always speak in, a, in, a, in additional language to the language of the Torah, because it's, they felt that violating the holy language and speaking about mundane things. But they spoke in a different language, Ladino, uh, I, I mean, and whatever, and other language in every country, Arabic, whatever it was, they wrote, to, but writing was usually in Hebrew. Go ahead. Actually, oh, yeah, it was actually very convenient to speak English because, you know, Poland was over the territory, then Ukraine, then Russia, there's so many languages. <laughs> all, the, Hungarian, right. Hungarians. all the Jews in, you, in Europe yeah, spoke Yiddish, spoke yeah. Yiddish. It's a German. It's kind of Yiddish have a lot of German. Yiddish, Yiddish is a dialect of, of German, sure. Mm-hmm. It was Aramaic in the time of the, of the Talmud. Yeah, it was never uh, Igbo, never the Holy Tongue. From heaven it was agreed <coughs> the Mahib of Nethri searched among the students to find one upon whom God's sphere of rest to study and will serve the Jewish law to the reason behind the law. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And write it according to the order of code of Jewish law, focusing on everyday matters of the most frequent application, which takes precedence over other Jewish and to arrange all the laws from the original code and the legion stages in clear, understandable language with the relevant reasoning. The Magi chose, to, chose our Holy Father, who was filled with knowledge of the Talmud and later approached. Now, with, with relevant reasoning, that's the, that's the secret. Men, there were before code of Jewish law or just rules without reasoning. 
Milse betaime, that was the whole achievement. The Magid asked from his disciple, Dalte Rebbe, to write it. With an explanation, why? Go ahead, the Magid. The Magid told him, there is no one as wise as you to descend to the depths of Jewish law and carry out this holy task of distilling the laws in the rationale from all the authoritative texts with conclusive rulings. The Rebbe, the Shukhan Aruch Harav is a novel feature. It also includes the rationale behind the Halakha decisions. This is the main difference between the Shukhan Aruch Harav and the original Shukhan Aruch written by Rebbe Yosef Kero. Rebbe Kero only gives the final halakha conclusions, leaving all the sources and explanations in his earlier work, Beit Yosef, written as a commentary on the Torah. The Alter Rebbe, by contrast, includes brief explanation of the laws as explained in the introduction. Thus, the truth was precisely the opposite of what was alleged to the Tsar, and that the Alter Rebbe's path would undermine Torah. Not only did it undermine the Torah, it did, it did the biggest service to the Torah, that people are able to understand and, and learn, and it's a whole new different level of learning Torah. Go ahead. The acquisition regarding the charity were similarly opposite of the reality. The <coughs> Rebbe sent various forms of support to the Jews in the land of Israel in order to enable them to study Torah and observe mitzvot. The goal of the, all of this was to bring Mashiach closer at which point the land of Israel would be freed from the Turkish rule. But the prosecutor alleged that the exact opposite, that the money was intended to assist Saul. Basically, sending Jews to Israel to learn Torah and bringing Moshiach is get ready to get rid of Turkey, not to make them stronger against Russia. Then we are actually on your side, not against you. But, people, but they turned it against it. That from where, when they accuse the accusations, you understand what, what Alter Rebbe really actually did. Your enemy will tell you how good you are. That's the point. Go ahead. The allegation made against the prayer were also absurd. The claim, the claim was that due to the change of prayer book, unique customs, and separate synagogue. This may be something other than true prayers to the God true Hashem, and the reality was exactly opposite. If you ask anyone whether they were from Lithuania, Polish, or a Galician background, who prayed, prays at the greater length, and the answer will be that, the, that if you see a person praying for an extra half an hour, that is a clear indication that he is associated with the Hasidic, Hasidot, and the, Hasidic the Hasidim not only didn't make the prayers less important, they actually, Hasidic Jews, spent much more time in prayers than anybody else. You know, you go up there, some people come, <laughs> the more Hasidic, the more you learn about, what is Hasidus? Hasidus is learning about God. Service of God in the Hasidic movement is the most important, the most high. A real Hasid, Davens on Shabbos can daven on a Shabbat for four hours, five hours, be immersed in prayers. There were Hasidic Jews who davened until the end of the day. They used to mm-hmm. daven on Shabbat, Shachis, Minchem, Mariv, the whole thing in one shot. Mm-hmm. They, they, they never had enough time in the winter. Mm-hmm. By the time they daven Shachis, they finished, they had to daven Minchem already, but mm-hmm. then they only washed, they ate something, this already was the night already. Mm-hmm. That was Hasidic Jews. And even in the world today, the, the Hasidic movement, the prayer, invest in prayers much more than anybody else who is not Hasidic. Then not only we didn't undermine prayer, it made it much, we glorified it. It made it much, much stronger, much more important. The studying also the part of prayer, like the every study stuff, I'm sure you've got, you, you have a lot of things that every day you do. The second, sure. And this and this and this and then the study. There is so many things that we do, and then we, we, we do uh, pray, prayers before the prayers, in the Psalms, and after the prayers. But the prayer itself, the idea of paying attention to what you say, for example, even such a simple thing. You have to pray for Masida. You know, most of anybody who grew up in a cheder knows the prayers by heart. You see, all over the world, people stay with closed eyes and pray. Closed eyes or open eyes. They don't pray for Masida. <clears throat> now, what happens when you don't pray for Masida? First of all, you skip. Impossible you don't skip. It's impossible. Number two, you know, when you look outside, you think about the trees and you think about this. Oh, you boxed in. Mm-hmm. And even you close your eyes, you, it's very hard for you to be focused. 
The Baal Shem Tov established the idea of praying for Masida. People didn't pray. There was no Siddhas available, don't forget. <coughs> and the Rebbe didn't say a blessing outside of Siddha. For one day, he used to open the Siddha for one line, for two lines, he used to open the Siddha. Wherever he walks, you see him in the pictures, always at the Siddha. Because wherever he needs to... The idea, that's, that's another way of concentrating what means how important prayers is. You look inside, that you make sure you don't skip anything, and you concentrate what you say. Baruch Atah Hashem, and you think about God, because it keeps you, you, you uh, the words, the written word, keeps your mind focused on what you say. If not, you just say with your mouth, and you think about different things. That's another little ex- example how much chsides, how important prayers is, and there is a million examples for it. Okay. Go ahead, please. It says if the if they accuse them on these three things, must be see that's tadiki. Said if somebody accuses me on something like this, must be I have something of it. Somebody said that I'm trying to destroy Judaism. Everybody knows that. But must be there is a, came from Hashem. After all, Hashem made him say it. That I have to look in myself. Maybe there is something there that I can't kill. I think I still correct. You understand what I'm saying? He takes it to the highest level and he's looking. Maybe, maybe, maybe he missed something. Okay, the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe certainly strongly focused on Torah study, prayer, and acts of charity. But the olive only releases its oil when it is crushed. In this case, the Rebbe Rashab stated that all of the Alter Rebbe's activities increased after his release from prison. There is two statements here. The Aleph is, all, is releasing his oil only after he's crushed. It means to say, only after you, you squeeze the Jew, you get the best of him. Now you can squeeze him with a hog, squeeze the best out of him, or you can, God forbid, other squeezing, like the wall that we have now. Then he said, the, the, that means to say, because the Alter Rebbe ended up in jail, Chabad Hasidism, after St. Petersburg, after he came from Petersburg, from St. Petersburg, started a whole new level. Chabad would never reach to the levels they reach if not for, the, for his imprisonment in jail. We got even bigger. You think you're making it smaller? The same thing will be with Israel. You think it's, it's getting smaller, it will be even stronger. Then there is in, in, in Chabad, there is the language before St. Petersburg, before Petersburg, and after Petersburg. Uh, that's what Chabad looks like. You understand what I'm saying? There is before and after. Like before the war and after the war, the same thing. Exactly. I hope, I hope there is something like this. You want to continue? Yeah. Of course, all three elements were present before the uh, imprisonment. We mentioned earlier that the Ultra Rebbe began writing his Shulchan uh, Aruch during the lifetime of the uh, Magid of... Mezrich, his teacher, yeah. And uh, he even completed some section then. His uh, charitable activities had also begun early. An example of this can be found in a story that occurred even before that he traveled to Nazareth. Mezrich. Mezrich. Uh, Alter Rebbe received a dowry from his father-in-law and then used it for charity, helping other Jews make business investments that he determined would be beneficial for them. We also know the level of which the Alter Rebbe conducted uh, his prayers before assuming leadership. That means to say he was great on all these three options, these three things. He was very charitable. He was, he was busy. He wrote the Code of Jewish Law before he went to St. Petersburg. He was praying for hours. Sometimes he used to they put around, around his uh, walls where he's dominant, like a soft thing because he used to eat his hand. Or sometimes he get even bloody because he was so involved in, pray, in prayers. But the story about the charity that he's talking about, you know, the custom was, then you take it. Alter Rebbe was a brilliant scholar that his father-in-law, Took him here to promise a dowry that his father was a, his father was a very rich man. Here is the story what he did with the money. It's unbelievable. Go ahead. Source six. Already at fourteen, the Alter Rabbi had gained recognition in the region for his genius. Rabbi Yehuda Leib Siegel, one of the wealthy people in Vitebsk, took him as a husband for his daughter Sterna. One of the conditions the Alter Rabbi had before getting married 
was that the dowry of 5,000 coins would be his immediately to use for whatever he wanted. During their first year of marriage with his wife's agreement, he gave all the money away to families who wanted to farm. He helped them buy farmland and livestock with that money. This money paid for many agricultural settlements, settlements near Vitebsk. The Alter Rebbe visited them often and encouraged them to commit time to daily Torah study and told them stories from our sages in the Torah. The Chabad Rebbe, from the Alter Rebbe, knew that one of the reasons for anti-Semitism is because the Jews are constantly doing business and everybody's trying to call the order. They should become productive, should be, uh, uh, go to agriculture to become farmers, and then they have something sustainable. And he took all the money that he got for his marriage, the dowry, for him to, a young man starts to build his life, took everything that he had, he gave it and he invested, let people to buy with the property, uh, land and, and animals and so on, and to become, uh, become farmers. Yes. Certain places in these yeah. places, yes, yes. And there were Chabad rabbis after him. For generations, Chabad was invested very much in, uh, uh, for example, in, in, in Ukraine, uh, not far from, uh, not in Odessa, but Kherson. Um, the Kherson was, all Kherson around Kherson was established by the Chabad Hasidim. There were thousands of Chabad Hasidim invested, invested a lot of money. Everybody became farmers. The Jewish, Jewish people became farmers. Yes, so absolutely. The whole point, like, when Jews started moving to Russia, they, they were not allowed to farm. They, they in Russia? Any land, yeah, but, but, but in Ukraine, right. behind the line, there was a certain... Yeah, it's, it's Belarus. Belarus. Yeah. And it was within the... the there was line a section. Line, what is it called? Line of settlements. Line of settlements. That was up in the side. There, you were allowed to own land, Yes. And the government actually helped the Jews to, to establish themselves better. Not in time of the Alter Rebbe, but later, in the time of his son, the second Rebbe, the third Chabad Rebbe, the Chabad invested a lot that people should become uh, farmers. People don't know, but line of settlement was really huge. And huge. It's like, uh, included all the Baltic states, Belarus, modern-day Ukraine, part of Russia, and As, part of Poland. It was huge. It was really a huge line. That's where all the Jews are from there. All the Jews, that's what I'm saying, Jews are coming, it's not from, from this line of settlement. But as long as you don't come to Russia. <laughs> Everybody came from there, besides Danny Shafian. That's a different line of of the same idea, let's become farmers, let's do it with our land. But this, the Chabad rabbis did it in Russia with the Russian Jews. And this idea of going to Israel was not there yet. But instead of being dependent on, on other people and being really survived because they were so poor, he says, become farmers, you'll be able to make a living. Then he was charitable before that, but the whole idea, if, if there is, the Chabad Rabbeim look of it like this, if there is an accusation, obviously we, God wants us to do more. I mean, the, the Rebbe, it was in 1987, there was a whole, about the, a whole court case about the Rebbe's library. Then they said that the, the, the Chabad um, organization on the library is not an active organization. The Rebbe took it to a level, says, they say that Chabad is not active, how could it be such a thing? Obviously we don't do enough. That since then, Chabad went crazy, 10 times as more. Hmm. Then, the, then, the, then the Rebbe took the old Hanukkah menorahs, it was around Hanukkah, to a new level. Then they went all over the world with the big menorahs. Until then, everybody had a little menorah here and there, shvach. <laughs> then it was a whole new level. Why? Uh, if it comes from God, that says that Chabad is not active, obviously, there is a, there is a message here, we have to do, be able to do 10 times more. The same thing is here. After St. Petersburg, he says, they accuse me that I don't do enough for Torah, enough for charity, enough for, uh, for <coughs> prayers. We have to do it a thousand times more. Go ahead. What's the radio? Oh, the, les- the lesson. The main thing is that the discussion should have practical consequences. While, of course, none of us can compare it to the Alta Rebbe, we are given the power to study Torah, both the revealed and inner dimensions, with diligence and, most importantly, great excitement. The same is true regarding prayer and charitable acts. The Rebbe Riots explains that the words whoever engages, Oseg, refers to all three of the details, Torah study, charity, and prayer. 
He explains that Torah study, charity, and prayer, together with the community, must be engaged in with great effort and intense engagement in the same way a person engages in their work to make a living. He has to be... The language in the Talmud is anybody who occupies himself with Torah, not anybody who learns Torah. Not anybody who prays, any occupies with prayer. It means what means somebody who occupies himself? It's his business. What's the difference in an employee and somebody who's the owner? The owner cannot sleep at night. <laughs> then we should own the Torah, then we cannot sleep at night. Wake up in the middle of the night, what's going to be? What it should be my business. Finish. This is the lesson for everyone, including our generation. In fact, it is all the more relevant to our generation as we need to welcome Mashiach soon. As the Rebbe Riot famously proclaimed, we must increase in our Torah study and charitable acts, especially charity in the land of Israel and prayer with the community. And we must invest ourselves in this just like we do in our business. Just like in business. You cannot sleep at night. It should be your business. Judaism should be our business. That's the goal. Thank you very much, guys. God bless you.